0: Thank you, Hugh. Okay, uh, so before we jump into our passage this morning, which is in the Gospel of John, uh, if I could talk to our young ones, I'm going to tell you what uh, this passage is going to be about. I'm going to tell you what the sermon is going to be about, about this passage. So uh, we do this every Sunday. This is how we begin. Get us all on the same page. Welcome, our young ones. You are welcome here. Uh, So let's kick it off this way. Let's talk about two things that do not go together. Cats and dogs, okay? Let's talk about two things that don't go together, like ice cream and, ooh, ice cream and ice cream? I disagree. Ice cream goes great with more ice cream. Uh, What about ice cream and fire? (laughs) This is good, that's true, I was gonna say mayonnaise. Uh, You know, they look like they might go together, but ice cream and mayonnaise don't. How about this, the gym, like where you go to work out, and pizza. Like, those don't go together. How about, uh, w- what are some other ones? How about toothpaste and orange juice? Orange juice? Like, nail how, how about this one? G- go, Charlotte. <laughs> Bring it back. Mayonnaise doesn't go with a whole lot. A few things, but yes, toothpaste, thank you. Uh, how about this? Sneezing and holding your eyes open. You can't do both. I think your eyes will pop. Don't try it. Like I I seriously think you might hurt yourself. But sneezing and holding your eyes open, they don't go together. How about this? Running at the... Running around the pool. Those don't go together. How about peeing in the pool? Those don't go together, okay? Uh, How about this? Uh, The Rangers and the World Series Championship. Those don't go together. Uh, the college football playoffs and Florida State don't go together. <laughs> Bam. Uh, that guy knows what I'm talking about. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. We're in, y'all, young ones, we're in this thing called Advent season, this Christmas time where we always, we always talk about, who do we always talk about at Christmas time? We always talk about baby Jesus. Who is Jesus? Young ones, who's Jesus? Someone said it. I heard it. Son of God. Y'all, are you, like, Jesus is the Son of God? That is the craziness of, you know, this Advent season that Jesus is God himself? Y'all, that's saying God and flesh go together. You are putting two things together that do not seem to go together, and we do not want to lose the crazy awesomeness of that. That's what we're going to talk about today. Let me ask you this. Why did God have to be born as a man to save us? Any thoughts? This is a big one. He had to come to die. And not only to die, but to die as the sinless man. God himself had to become a man because only God could be born without sin. And Jesus has to be sinless if he's going to die for our sins to beat our sin and save us. Okay, but here's the awesome thing about what we call the incarnation, God becoming man. Yo, here's the awesome thing about the, the incarnation. God had to become a man to save us, but God did not have to come to save us. Y'all gotta hear that. It's because we do not deserve salvation. And that that you're hearing that and you may be like, Well, that doesn't sound awesome. Yeah, except God chose to come anyways. God chose to send his son for you. The son of God willingly came. He chose to come for you. That's the good news of the gospel of grace. That's the good news of God coming down as a man, becoming a man. That's the good news of this Advent season The Son of God coming willingly to give up everything for you. So that's what we're going to be talking about uh, for the next few weeks. We're going to be asking this question to get at this awesome uh, gospel. We're going to be asking this thing over and over. Whose child is this? Whose son? Uh, And we say that, and we're like, yeah, it's Christmas time. Like, okay, but really, like, tomorrow, everyone, when you're going about your busy, 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 busy day, work, school, busy with all the things, like who, who cares whose son Jesus is, this is what we're going to get at this morning in the next few weeks. Please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in John chapter 1. We're going to be in uh, the first few verses. We'll skip down to some more verses. Uh, so please follow along with me, beginning in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So the way John begins his gospel is to say that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, everyone has heard that before. Okay, but John says it in a wonderful way that we really don't always hear. In, in verses 14 and 18, John says that Jesus is, quote, he says, only begotten Son of God. Now, if you look down at your order of worship, or if you look in your ESV translation, which is what we just read, you're going to say, nah, it doesn't say that, and you didn't just read that. Uh, But that's because the translators of the English Standard Version that we always read, that is a fantastic uh, translation, it also struggles with this thing that's here the wonderful way John says what he says about Jesus being the Son of God. In the King James Version, in fact, in all the old versions, translations, it doesn't just say, quote, of the only Son from the Father in verse 14, or verse 18, the only God. The King James actually gets it better here, translating the Greek. Verse 14 is this, of the only begotten of the Father. Verse 18 the only begotten. In fact, if you look at the Greek, in verse 14, uh, the word son is not there. It's just the word for, and it's one word, only begotten. But the ESV inserts son, inserts son in there, because again, it's trying to get at the wonder of this thing that is so wonderful, it's just a little too wonderful. John says that Jesus is the Son of God, begotten of God the Father. It's a big deal. What's the big deal? What's the big deal of, uh, with this begotten stuff? Uh, well, it says, to get, at the, to get at the wonder of the incarnation of the Son of God, taking on flesh, and being born as the God-man Jesus, you first, you've got to back up. Because this is easy to just run over, too. You've got to, to you got to get at the wonder of there's a God the Father and a God the Son. And if that's true, how does God the Son have the same essence with God the Father, and yet God the Son is distinct from God the Father? Like, how can both, God the Father, God the Son, how can both be God and still be distinct? The wonder of that divine reality is so wonderful, it's so beyond us, that you're always, always struggling to find language to describe the infinite and the eternal. With something so big, with something so difficult, it's difficult. You're struggling to find language to describe the infinite and the eternal. Uh, You you, want to talk about this thing without saying the wrong thing, because you're talking about God. But here's what John is saying. The one God exists eternally in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're going to do God the Holy Spirit more next Sunday. And God the Son, being, quote, the only begotten Son from the Father, it is describing this. It is describing the never beginning and never ending act whereby God the Father communicates the divine essence to God the Son. Yay. Got it? Let's move on. Confused? Yes. Everyone is when they talk about this stuff. All the scholars, all the theologians who write about this say that at the end of the day, the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, it is beyond us. It is comprehending the incomprehensible. And here's the thing. If you're going to do this Christianity thing, get used to mystery. We are using human language to describe the divine. And scholars will tell you that it's obvious that we are using an analogy, an analogy from our human experience to describe something about the eternal, infinite, immutable God. Immutable is that thing that he, just, he does not change. But that doesn't mean that we can't talk about this wonder in truthful ways. And sometimes uh, w- the way we have to say this is to say what we're not saying. So let's say what we're not saying. Here's what we're not saying. Uh, And again, New Testament scholar here has been super helpful. Uh, Here's what we're not saying. The manner in which a human father begets a son, it differs significantly from the manner in which God the Father begets God the Son. Okay, for one thing, for one thing, in human begetting, there is a time when that human son does not exist, right? Okay, but in the divine original There was never a time when God the Son did not exist. God the Father begetting God the Son is something that happens without time. There's a logical order, but there's no duration. (laughs) This does not happen in time. God the Son is. God the Son always was. God the Son will always be. So Jesus can say, later in the Gospel of John, I am, which is what God says about himself. Okay, here's another difference. Human begetting involves a mom and a dad, whereas God the Son is begotten of God the Father alone. And a human father's begetting, it's a free and voluntary act. Dad decides to have a son. While, listen to this, while the son's, Begottenness—it uh, is an eternal and it is a necessary act. This sounds crazy, but God the Father couldn't not have eternally begotten God the Son. <sighs> otherwise, the Son would otherwise the Son would be a contingent being. But God the Son is not contingent. He's not a contingent being. No contingent contingent being is divine. Okay. Uh, what, with all of these that, and we could go down the rabbit trail with all of these, what, with all of these vast differences between human and divine begetting, where's the analogy? Like where's the similarity? Why use this language? It's here. Just as a father, human father, just as a human father communicates his essence to his son, which is humanity, his humanity, just as a human father communicates his human essence to the to his son so god the father communicates his divine essence to god the son he communicates his essence his deity to god the son here's what we're saying one god one essence that essence thing that we I keep saying it's like godness its divinity one God, one essence that is eternally communicated from God the Father to God the Son. You've got one God existing eternally in three persons, so that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, and and uh, the Father is not the Son, and the Father is not the Spirit, and the Son's not the Father, and the Son's not the Spirit, and the Spirit's not the Father, and the Spirit's not the, Father, the, Spirit's not the Son. Okay. There is God the Father and God the Son, and now we come to, there it is, and now we come to the wonder of the incarnation, because you're literally talking about God here. John says, as God the Son was always begotten of the Father, now there is a creational projection of that eternal reality in the creation of the person, Jesus. That is, in the incarnation of the God-man, Jesus. Jesus really, 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 really is fully man and fully God. God the Son becomes the glorious image of God that is now visible to mankind. And this is something, this is something, you know, if you're sitting here just like, what? Like, this is something John the Apostle did not get before Jesus' death and resurrection. He didn't believe this stuff. God becoming a man was something the disciples just could not grasp. And some some critics will say, you know, that's actually really, uh, really odd that the disciples of Jesus couldn't accept that Jesus was God in the flesh because this was actually kind of common. All the ancient religions had incarnations. Pharaoh, you know, the Egyptian Pharaoh, he was considered a god in the flesh. Krishna, Krishna was the Hindu incarnation of the god Vishnu. You know, the Greek gods, come on, we know the Greek The Greek gods would come to earth as men, and they would have wives, and they would have children. So if the incarnation was this common, and this widely accepted, uh, amongst all these other religions, why couldn't Jesus' disciples accept he was God in the flesh? It's because the critics are wrong. Because this was different. All that other stuff is not what Jesus is claiming. All that, all those other claims to incarnations were actually not real incarnations, and and they were they were not they certainly were not claims to the incarnation that Jesus is claiming. So when Pharaoh died, no one believed that he went on being this God man. Now his essence just escaped into the, the other gods again. When Krishna, Krishna was only the appearance of a man, not really a man. And the Greeks did not claim that their gods became men and then remained men. Here John is claiming something that's never been claimed before, that the eternally begotten Son of God took on flesh. The Son of God in the incarnation became the God-man. Fully God, fully man, forever. And he did this, the Son of God did this for the explicit purpose of saving sinful man at the cost of his life. Jesus is the son of God. Everyone has heard that before. But what would it be like if you had never heard that before? One of my friends, who's a pastor in a very unchurched town in Vermont, he told me a story about his daughter when she was four years old. Willa was, was playing with her friends, uh, and they're talking about Christmas. And Willa mentions Jesus. And her friends asked her, Willa, who is Jesus? And this is what Willa said. Oh, Jesus is the son of God. He made everything and he saved us so when we die, we go to heaven. And Willa went home and she told her dad that her friends went bananas because they had never heard anything so amazing. But we, we heard that stuff of the son of God and yeah, and it borders on the blah, 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 blah now. It's something like, like, I'll confess, I hate flying. I hate flying, but someone has pointed out, like, oh really, you're in a chair, in the air a mile up, flying over 500 miles an hour. And I wanna be like, yeah, but my chair, I've got long legs and it doesn't recline, so I'm like, uh. You know, it's like our Katie Lungard, who basically grew up in NASA, uh, knew a bunch of astronauts, sat in mission control with NASA's flight director on a live feed to people in space when she's eight years old. She witnessed spaceships blasting off into the unknown, and she wasn't going all Elsa. because she's. Just, you know, I've seen this, what? The bananas of Christmas gets lost on us. The bewonderment of the incarnation has become this sentimental thing. But here's John. Before he ever talks about where he's, when he knows where he's going. He's about to say this thing of the incarnation and this thing of the uh, the begottenness, uh, the eternal begottenness of the Son of God, and he says this: "And we have seen his glory." And you would think that the Son of God taking on human flesh would mean the concealing of God's glory. You know, especially with this very, 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 very unimpressive, poor carpenter, this Jewish man. Who belongs to a people that has occupied the great nation of Rome? Like, with this guy, you're not going to see God as He really is, because this this thing. Where's the glory? But John tells us that's not so. In the Son of God becoming flesh, the glory of God was made visible to mankind. And perhaps, perhaps the biggest reason the wonder of the incarnation is lost on us is because we too often divorce the beginning of Jesus's life with the end of Jesus's life. And if you do that, you cannot answer why is the incarnation necessary for us? Why is this the miracle that kicks off Jesus's career as the savior of mankind? Because to save us, God has to be born into the world because we are or fallen from birth the bible says this the bible says we're born sinners and i remember having this conversation with a couple friends in college we were trying to work this out if we're born sinful and jesus was born sinless and jesus was born of a woman and no man was involved then sin must be passed down from the gods like a virus and you like and then and commentators take that stuff seriously Uh, Vern Poitras, New Testament scholar, explains sin is not a physical thing like a virus passed on biologically in the process of conception and birth. Sin is moral and spiritual rebellion against God. We inherit sin because Adam, the first guy who ever lived, was the head of the human race, and he represented us when he sinned. Jesus is the last Adam, a new head of a new humanity, In the pattern of inheriting guilt and sinfulness from Adam, it is broken with Jesus in the miracle of the incarnation. The incarnation means God himself has come to earth. He is completely free from sin. That is, If God is going to save us, God has to come do it himself. The Savior has to be God. Our situation in this life is so bad because of our sin that for God to even begin to save us, it takes this miracle. The Son of God came and took on flesh to live a perfect life of obedience for us, to earn heaven for us, which we cannot do. And the Son of God came to take on flesh in order to die and pay the penalty for our sin and bear the wrath of hell that we don't want to do. The Son of God was born to die and to live again forever. There is the glory of God who's come to reveal what is true and what is good. There's the glory of God who has come to defeat evil forever. And he's done it at the greatest cost to himself. Here is love. Our God did not spare his own son to save us. Here is love. The son of glory willingly came to lay down his life for us. And it's like what we told the kids, it's all of grace. Another pastor, uh, Kevin DeYoung, he's actually been a great help uh, here uh, where he talks about some of the, just this big, big stuff. He points out, our God is not in our mess. If, if God in heaven suffers, then God coming to save us is just as much, if not more about God saving himself from his suffering as it is about saving us. And, and so in rescuing us, God is, is really rescuing himself if God in heaven suffers. But the Bible says God reigns in heaven. The Bible says God receives unceasing worship from the angels. He needs nothing from us. And always delights in his own glory. This is the, the Trinity thing. Uh, there is one God who exists eternally in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the Trinity. There is fullness of love, fullness of joy, fullness of fellowship, which we can't add to or ever take away. God is perfectly and fully content within himself. But this God who is not in our mess, he gets involved in our mess. And God's love and grace really is all the more awesome because he didn't need us to be okay. He didn't need us to avoid suffering. God's love is actually all the more awesome because he didn't need us. And it raises that question, so why? Why did he come? Why does he love us? Not because he has to but because he wants to, because he chooses to. He chooses you, and it's all of grace. Let's pray. Father, we pray. uh, What do we do? We we, we pray and we ask, what do we do with this word? What do we do with this revelation uh, that uh, the Son of God, eternally begotten, of the father has come for us lord um help us to stand in wonder and help us to stand in awe of it uh help us to not try to flatten it out uh help us to see uh this morning our our desperate need and how big our sin is and then how infinitely bigger is your grace how infinitely bigger is the cross and we pray, we would, we would stand there in our hearts, mind, with faith, uh, looking to you again, in wonder and awe, at your omnipotence, uh, Lord, your awesomeness, your glory, uh, that you would love us, and not just love us, that you would come for us the way you have come for us. Help us to hold on to that, and hope help us to hold that awesome wonder out to one another, to remind each other. Of your awesome love and your awesome grace today tomorrow and the next day until you call us home or until your second advent lord for which we pray amen